Welcome to the DFI Podcast, episode 16, where we go deep on Web3 infrastructure, services, and news. Ishan, how are you today? I'm doing well. Excited for another pod. This is always a highlight of the week. Yes, yes. Me too. Me too. It's a fun, it's a fun chance to kind of like reflect. There's a lot going on in the industry. Yes, there um, is. So maybe for first uh, component, we can jump in here. There was a new article about JP Morgan Chase getting involved in blockchain. Uh, crypto, or excuse me, blockchain, not crypto, with their new Onyx trading platform. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but they launched that in 2020, right? It's like actually maybe not that new. Is that right? <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. No, thank you. You're right. Actually, the 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 platform is not new. The announcement, perhaps, with BlackRock oh. to use it was the latest bit of of promotion. So apparently, BlackRock has now settled. It looks like uh, what amount here? Millions of dollars of trades on this client called TCN, the Tokenized Collateral Network. It might be good just to briefly explain for folks listening, like what jpmc is built with this onyx platform were you involved in that at that period of time like have you looked into any of these private blockchain um implementations? i wasn't involved but like yeah i think you should start with let, let's start with like you know what uh this is why it's important and then maybe we can talk about the announcement um yeah, the background is it's interesting. So when I was at Google Cloud in 2017, 2018, there was this big push for blockchain for enterprise, which is so different than what we focus on a lot of time with Ethereum and Bitcoin and the really decentralized. This was saying, can we take parts of blockchain and create a private permission blockchain just between a few trusted actors, maybe JPMC, maybe another couple of big banks all get to have nodes. And it's not public information, it's private, but it's a database, but it's a database that would share information trustlessly just among those folks. There were a lot of use cases for this sort of thing around supply chain. So tracking your goods mm -hmm. from one vendor to another or across the supply chain. There's issues with that to some extent today. The, um, the controversy at the time, though, was that even though blockchain for enterprise sounds fun and sounds very exciting, there, are, there have been database solutions that can solve for this that have been in place forever, as long as there's been enterprise technology. Um, and, you know, if you have a database, it, it might need to have a different sort of trust profile to it. But, but my biggest question to you is, does this sound to you like it could be a significant innovation in terms of blockchain? Or is it more just adding on the word blockchain to a technology that's really better served by traditional Web2 tech? Yeah, so let's see. Okay, so I think the first thing here is one, let's start with the problem here, like for finance, for trading. Like right now we're on a T, T plus two, which is like if you say you're trading securities, right, on the NYSE or, or you know, anything, it has to go through um, multiple organizations like brokers or clearing houses or whatever, right? Um, that can take like up to two days for things to actually settle, right? Um, and it, so it's slow. There's a lot of, a lot of, uh, middleware or, uh, middle companies taking cuts, uh, or adding fees. So it's expensive. Um, and, uh, I think, so this is where I think blockchain can come in and actually, uh, is like a 
real game changer in terms of being able to have instant settlements, instant payments, instant, uh, you know, when I say settlements, I mean, like of trading assets, trading securities, um, changing ownership, et cetera. Right. So, uh, I think it is a game changer. Uh, I always, always thought that like the finance industry was always the, one of the first, um, industries to actually uptick or pick up technologies. Like they were using machine learning before it was cool in tech companies. Tech companies always think they invented machine learning, uh, but, but hedge funds and high frequency trading companies and others have been using machine learning for a while. I think this is true with blockchain as well. I think it's been hard to find use cases, um, outside of consumer and maybe like decentralized physical infrastructure networks, um, for, uh, blockchain. Right. And that's changing really quickly. But like, I do believe that finance, like DeFi has been the one that has taken advantage of it most. And, um, I think like now it's blockchain is coming to traditional finance. So, um, yeah, I, I think I, in general, I think this is like a positive step forward. Um, and this is a real thing. This is not just let's add blockchain, you know, experiment. And you can see this because JP Morgan's been using it since 2020. This isn't a, I'm going to have my innovation team come up with a blockchain network and we're going to see if it works. This is $700 billion have already been, um, uh, short-term $700 billion of short-term loans have already been, um, traded on this Onyx platform and it's been successful. And now they're making the announcement. There you go. That it seems like if it's providing value for them, it's providing for their value for their clients. You know, and maybe even if, you know, what's funny is like in the database space, I used to design multi-geography uh, databases that would sync data in real time across different systems. And the technology, however, 10 years ago could have done that on its own. But maybe, maybe for regulatory purposes and things like that, they needed a new technology, uh, technological paradigm just to push in, just to get past some of those existing hurdles. Like maybe if there were paperwork and there were regulations that were preventing them before, maybe if they come in and say, oh, well, it's not our old database. This is blockchain. And so now they can market it differently. They can get past the intermediaries that were taking additional time. Maybe that's uh, helping enable them. I mean, I think of blockchain is just not, a, it's like a shared database, right? And it's a shared yeah. database where like um, you can't, uh, edit any of the entries that have already been, you have to create new entries. So there's like, it's basically, um, uh, anti, I mean, in a way it's anti-fraud proof because like you can't just go and change entries into a database. You literally have to add a new entry. Um, so you can literally see like the timelines of transactions, right? So I do think that while the, you know, the current and the previous database technologies were really good for some of the applications, the fact that the way they're able to do it now is a lot is like blockchain adds a lot um uh it adds a lot of value and it adds a lot of value where especially with like think about time right so like even with the current database technologies which are pretty advanced and you've got like pretty low latency database technologies there are two day delays on settlements of any sort of exchange of securities but with blockchain it's seconds or maybe minutes Right. But like going from two days to seconds or minutes is much, it's, it's, it's like orders of magnitude better. Right. Um, so I do think that like this is a place where blockchain actually is like a massive upgrade to just, you know, old, older database technologies. I, I don't think it's just, it's not, I think just saying that there's a new database uh, that's powering these transactions is oversimplifying a little bit. But maybe from like a customer's perspective or a client perspective of people who don't care about technology, you can say that. But for like people who are 
you know, who are doing the actual trading, who are in the banks, who are making technical decisions on how to um, lower costs and uh, improve trade, improve uh, trade speed and quality, um, and uh, uh, what do you call it, Audit auditable and traceable. It makes a big difference for those groups of people. That's very true. Well, one other interesting aspect in that promo video that they were sharing about the the JPMC Onyx platform was that it's allegedly Ethereum based, and there were some questions as to whether there might in the future be integrations between tokenized assets on Onyx's platform and the mainnet Ethereum. If you were in their position, would you try to? Would you think they would want to try to become a bridge in some sense to bridge these traditional financial assets as? Like you know, the way USDC became a stable coin on mm -hmm. Ethereum, like should they become an L two like base in some sense? Like, yeah, should, should that wow, happen? that's actually really interesting. I didn't even thought of that. Um, I guess you know what's in one in, one thing that's interesting, and maybe I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. But like, as systems become more interoperable, they become more valuable. Um, and so, like at the beginning, it makes sense for like even if you're building a private blockchain to like make it not interoperable for security reasons and for testing reasons, and you don't want something to go wrong. But over time, as um, more use cases are added to that blockchain network, in this case, Onyx, it would make sense to add interoperability because it adds a lot more value. Um, so the more things that it can do, the, the more settlements that can be transferred um, securely and quickly, the better the platform looks, the more customers there are, right? The more advanced products you can build on top of this. Um, and one thing they talk about a lot is, uh, tokenizing real world assets, right? And so we've talked about tokenizing real world assets before, but, um, I think this is where, like, this is super useful where like title insurance, you buy a home, it takes weeks for you to get title insurance, right? Why can't you transfer that yeah. title insurance instantly? Um, right. And then you have to go, I mean, there's some other regulatory things about title insurance that really, really annoy me, but that's just one example, right? Um, so I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on like uh, being interoperable with public block, like public blockchains and private blockchains being interoperable with each other, and then specifically Onyx being interoperable with you know Ethereum? It's a fascinating future. It would be a very bold step, especially since JPMC's CEO Jamie Dimon has been very um, strongly opposed to cryptocurrencies. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's that aspect of it. On the other hand. You know, real world assets are, are very much in vogue in discussions right now, and they have been for a long time. One of the biggest impediments for real world assets is maintaining the legal structure behind those real world assets. So if, if I have a token behind my house or title and I give that token away or whatever, on-chain dispute and settlements is one thing, but uh, off-chain in the courtroom, how does a courtroom mm -hmm. represent those things? But if you had like a JPMC that acted as a envelope around those complexities and they said, we're exchanging tokens, but ultimately the asset is managed or custodied through JPMC and you can bridge it from our chain to Ethereum and back and forth and split it up, chop it up, sell it. Uh, but they take care of the legalities. That would be a very fascinating role for them to play, almost like an oracle of assets into. I mean, I think that ha that's what it has to be because like, you know, technology is great, but no one's going to take anything that doesn't fall fall under court of law seriously, right? So like you can you can tokenize, let, let's again talk about real estate, you can tokenize real estate and sell it and everything, but the legal paperwork still has to go through, right? But I think that even, uh, and, and you're right, I think JPMC and others um, have to make sure that like, you know, they have to be aware of any trades that are happening um, so that they're always on top of like, 
what should the title insurance look like? Who is the owner? Do, does someone need to sign stuff? But like, you know, even with the digitization and dig digitalization of um, all these services, you could imagine like, you know, a product that like tracks a specific real, um, uh, a real world asset that's been tokenized. When it's been traded, they can like send an email through DocuSign or HelloSign or any sort of any of these platforms, mm -hmm. products to the person who um, who is selling and the person who's buying, get their signatures immediately and like, you know, through APIs, make all this process um, close in like minutes or not maybe, maybe not minutes, but days, right? As opposed to months. Um, so even then that has like, even if you have to like uh, interact with like the world outside, like off chain, um, that's still like, again, massive benefits on how long it takes or how long it takes for things to happen. It's true. It could be a backend enabler. Folks may not even necessarily need to see that it, uh, that it, it's part of it, but what do you think point. of the, what do you, do you, do you think that we'll see like lots and lots of companies just use private blockchains without any cryptocurrency for, um, for use cases such as these or even outside of, uh, traditional finance? I'm bearish on that, even though I don't want to be, I, spent a lot of time with my team when we were at Google Cloud trying to find opportunities for our customers to use blockchain-based use cases. The problem is, well, the problem, the situation on the alternative side is that globally shared databases generally, um, whether it's through a big cloud provider or an open source technology are so sophisticated right now. And you have so many good options, like a lot of the backends for you know, telcos and financial services and healthcare, big database companies like Oracle and Teradata and Snowflake, they are so capable now and their security models are so well built out that you can achieve so much of this within, let's say you're the CIO of Home Depot or CIO of Coca-Cola, whomever the, the customer is that's thinking about this. They can achieve so much of this today with their existing tech stack and their existing vendors they have relationships with that to bring in a blockchain and have it shared amongst different entities um, does bring some benefits, but it, it, at the time we just couldn't find enough benefits that, that would justify the investment. Interesting. I never thought about that. What do you think, what do you think private blockchains, like what are the, I don't know, top three problems that private blockchains solve that you'd be like, you know, uh, these types of companies or uh, this, these types of verticals are the best to, um, uh, best, best to use private blockchains because like, you know, they'll generate more revenue or costs will go down or compliance will be easier um, or something like that. It's a good question. I, I'm probably not smart enough or specialized enough in the individual domains to, to make that assessment. Like even financial services, I was a little surprised JPMC did this for their blockchains mm -hmm. because they sometimes could have done it. But to your point, there could be benefits in terms of settlement and auditing and transparency and things like that. So, I mean, there were a lot of folks in the supply chain side that tried to do that for a while. Um, and the other thing is it just hasn't developed. I mean, since 2017, this concept has been around and it had a lot of a lot of investment in it. A lot of companies were started specifically for this purpose that just did not materialize. So I, I don't know. Have you seen any others as well? I mean, do you have any ideas of? things that might I be don't. candidates um but like you know i i would assume um 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I was thinking like, let's say like Interpol could be a good example, mm. um, right? Where like, uh, and again, it's a private blockchain, right? So it's not that people outside have it. Um, people outside have access to the blockchain uh, or the database. But I feel like Interpol could be a good example, right? Places where there's a lot of shared information, I think are, are good examples. Um, places where like, in general, where there's a lot of sensitive data and you're worried about someone like hacking or changing or removing data, right? I, I think are good places. So I think actually, um, you know, obviously the NSA and the CIA won't, won't comment on these kinds of things, but like, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point they start looking into private blockchains mm. on how they share data with other intelligence groups or if like they have a, you know, uh, or like, especially outside of the United States, like if you're sharing something with outside, um, outside the US or like Interpol, um, that's something that came at the top of my head, but I think in general, finance is actually like the best place. Insurance, I think, is actually another great place for um, mm -hmm. uh, private blockchains, right? So like basically in insurance, they have this database where, um, and, they, and it basically tracks like every human and if they've ever made a claim uh, from a company. And like if on that, on that database, if I think, I, I don't know what the law is, of course, like insurance companies can't, deny people coverage, especially, you know, outside of health insurance, but in property insurance, like there's, there's some red flags of an insurance company. If like someone has like, has like multiple claims in like the last five years or something like that uh, on your record. So I'm sure uh, insurance is probably a really good place for private blockchain networks as well. Interesting. Well, the other one I was going to throw out that, that might be a bit of a stretch is ad networks in a similar sense. Like if you had information about, how people are browsing sort of the way that cookies work today, but you were to share that for advertising purposes. I wonder if that would be interesting to share amongst folks in that way. I don't you know, know the first thing about advertising, <laughs> but I would bet advertising is probably one of the most advanced markets and efficient markets in terms of like how that works, just given the amount of resources that's been put in. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, fair enough. Should we, uh, should we chat about Coinbase? Yeah, so uh, what what was the news, right? That like Coinbase, uh, there's somebody, uh, Coinbase will report its results on November 2nd, but according to an analyst, um, trading volume is down 52% year on year. Sounds about right. right. And Coinbase makes its money from trading fees, right? So they're not doing other not lending out money so like you know they need people to always be trading more so like you know if people are just holding their crypto on coinbase because they're unsure what's going to happen even if assets under management go up coinbase can actually make less money because people are trading less and that's what it sounds like is happening um right uh does that sound right it does. It, it, it's interesting. So you're absolutely right. They are, they are a fee-driven business. The more activity there is, market goes up, they make money. Market goes down, they make money. It's a great hedge in that way as well. But the other interesting thing is the fact that their stock price has really maintained over the past year. In fact, it's even done better than cryptocurrency, like 100% increase uh, this year. Uh, That's do you, yeah, I was going to ask, what do you think would be driving that? Is it you know the fact that they may be helping support future crypto ETFs as like a spot market indicator for info, like for like uh for regulatory purposes is there something else you think might be driving their stock price you know i actually do not know 
uh, much about Coinbase's business um, in the sense of I haven't been keeping uh, keeping track of why uh, Coinbase is going up a lot, but it looks like um, yeah, year to date it's up 120 percent. In the last six months, it's up just 20 percent. So it looks like a lot of those gains happen at the beginning of the year with the rest of the market. So um, hold on, you know what's interesting is what we should compare uh, compare Coinbase not to um, Oh, okay. So it's gone up 72%. Uh, Bitcoin has gone up 72%. Coinbase has gone up 112 and NASDAQ is up 30. Okay. Because I think the what I'm hearing in NASDAQ is that the better, the better companies are going up a lot more than, um, than others, right? So if you like, check out Apple stock, for example, right? Year to date. Uh, oh, it's up 40%. Okay. That's interesting. I wonder what Microsoft stock is up. Year to date, Microsoft is up forty percent. Okay, so it looks like Coinbase has really outperformed even big tech. Um, uh, so maybe I was wrong there. I I don't know. What are your thoughts on well, that? The other interesting thing, actually, so I I did. This is a good kind of inside uh, learnings from being in the L two space right now. Coinbase made significant profits off of their use of their base L two platform. I can't remember how many millions was coming in, uh, which is one interesting example, like new products. I was just reading this Motley Fool article and it was saying, you know, new product offerings like base, international expansion, and also favorable regulatory outcomes. I actually remember that there was that court case where the judge um, decided not to see, I think it was like they, they agreed that we're going to throw out the case that SEC lobbied against Coinbase, something like that to that extent. So they're getting some good headwinds maybe mm -hmm. with their case against the SEC. So maybe uh, investors are staying bullish for now on Coinbase, despite the Yeah, it could also be like, uh, you know, part a part of um, the stock price is like based on future expectations and momentum, right? It's not just current expect uh, current results because um, current, current results are great and then like something happens and then you're like, okay, what does the next quarter look like? What does the next year look like? And when you report, if the next year doesn't look that good or analysts don't believe that the next year is going to be good, the stock price will trade lower even if like the last quarter quarter was strong, right? So I guess people are expecting um, Coinbase to post strong results over the next year or two. And that's kind of being priced in into the uh, into the stock price versus other companies. By the way, Meta too, Meta is year to date up 150%. So uh, that also might be because of, of the multiple layoffs and uh, building product faster and focusing more on, you know, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, um right but but interesting that that's the like that's the comparison high tides float all ships float all yes. boats there you go following the economy it is interesting though it's good to see that um uh coinbase's stock price is up but like it will it would be really good to see like you know at the end of the day it's all about revenue so it would i hope that when coinbase releases earnings on november 2nd that the the revenue and the growth markers come in strongly because that's going to be the metrics that show like are we you know is the web3 community in general onboarding um enough users right yes yes yeah. you're absolutely right and it's also interesting to, to see how it would play out where fidelity blackrock and a few others have bitcoin etfs in the uh in the queue that are hoping to get approved soon 
And you know, how many people are buying Coinbase just as a way to have exposure to the upside of crypto? How much of that mm -hmm. stock price people say, oh, I can't buy Bitcoin, but I can buy Coinbase. And if mm -hmm. Coinbase does well, or if crypto does well, Coinbase, that thinking. But now, yeah. if the market has a second and third option, they can actually just buy Bitcoin directly. Would that be bad for Coinbase stock in some sense that they might just leave their, okay, I don't want to have to hold Coinbase. I can hold Bitcoin directly. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. But like, isn't it, it's pretty easy to buy Bitcoin. I guess it's, you still have to go to like a crypto exchange, right? And what's left in America, Coinbase and Gemini? Is there any, anyone left, right? Otherwise you have to buy a, you have to use Uniswap or other decentralized exchanges. And that's a lot harder to use than Coinbase. Actually, uh, yeah, so you, you do still have to buy crypto through exchanges, centralized exchanges, but from a retirement portfolio perspective, like IRA, 401k, you cannot buy it directly through those portfolios. However, there are a couple of really interesting uh, funds, which are basically um, ETFs, and those ETFs hold a bunch of crypto exposed stock, like uh, Bitcoin mining companies and Coinbase and Square mm -hmm. and a couple of things like that. So. That's kind of a fun way to get some exposure. But uh, by the way, this yeah. is not investment advice. <laughs> yeah, 100% not investment advice. Throw that on there. Um, yeah. Also, that's actually interesting because basically what you're saying is that like the Bitcoin ETFs will allow everyone who is not like retail or institutional in the sense of like uh, they're not trading crypto. But like you could you could get funds, fund of funds, pensions, foundations to de to uh, diversify and bit buy Bitcoin ETFs as like, oh, I have zero point five percent of my assets under management under Bitcoin ETFs, right? And or whatever it is, right? So you get upside, but not a lot of risk if Bitcoin goes to zero. Indeed, completely. Okay. Yeah, institutions yeah. as well as retail folks, you know, that have yeah. whatever amount of their wealth tied up in their retirement account. Yeah. And then it's funny, like when the crypto market, sometimes you get a little bit of momentum like that, and that can lead to bigger bull markets, but won't make any price. I mean, you know, I think, I'm just thinking about this out loud, but like this is actually a pretty good proof that Bitcoin um, has like store of value, right? So like Bitcoin so? is never, Bitcoin is never going to be one of those things where like it's, it's basically gold. It actually is instead of turning into a currency, it is actually gold. So the fact that the SEC actually was like you know, Bitcoin is not a security. It makes a lot of sense because like no one is like, oh, let me go use Bitcoin for payments like that. The the time that Bitcoin is going to be used for payments like that was the original thesis. Right. We need a way to pay outside of the fiat currency world. But that's not what's going to happen with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is going to be used for um, a gold, like gold, like store of value, not for uh, payments and currency, which I think is good and bad because I always thought you needed a um, cryptocurrency to be a store of value, right? Um, but because like there's no intrinsic value to gold, right? Gold is used in electronics. It's great. It's a great super. It's a great conductor. Sorry, not a superconductor. It's a great right. conductor. Um, better than copper. Um, and but like people are like, oh, it's shiny and humans like it, so therefore it has value. But like I think that time has also changed. Um, from like people being into like jewelry and being into gold and, you know, trading gold. But in the Asia digital world, if you need something similar, Bitcoin makes a lot of sense. You're right. I mean, this is actually like, I, I, I think when we look back on this time, 50 or hundred years from now, folks will look at this as a massive pivot in terms of finance, because even you go back to the Medici's and the early banking histories, 
in all of human history, there's never been a way to manage your store of value other than a trusted centralized institution, whether it's your mayor, your tribe leader, your bank, whatever it is, you've always had a, and so to have this new scenario, that's just totally virtual and, you know, out in the ether like that is a, is a big change in use case. Cause like with gold, you know, what are you going to store gold bars in your house? You can trust somebody else to store the gold for you. It's got all these logistic mm -hmm. issues. So yeah, there's definitely, if it can just hold on and just maintain and not like have some massive bugs in it, then over time, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good place to be. So what will happen to Bitcoin when there are like not that many miners mining it? Like what, having halvings happen over and over again, it becomes harder to earn Bitcoin for mining because you have to have more hash rate. And so miners leave, right? It concentrates to few miners over time. Like what happens to the price of Bitcoin then? And again, this is not financial advice. I'm just like, you know, intellectually wondering like, yeah, okay, well, you know, at least with gold, like the equivalent of mining gold is that there's there there's still some mining happening, but like the gold rush of mining gold is done, right? So like, I guess it still holds value a little bit, but this is a digital asset versus a physical asset. So I'm, I'm kind of curious what happens there. Well, it's, it's a very uh, resilient issue, a very resilient system in the sense that as Bitcoin price drops, you'll see fewer people that can make a profit mining Bitcoin. And so only the big institutional players that have big Bitcoin mining farms that are super efficient and running the maximum number of hash rate per energy cost are going to be running like the, the, the big, uh, big groups. Um, and then as the price increases, everybody that's, that's in the, the market will be more profitable to mine Bitcoin effectively. So you'll have different degrees of decentralization. When, when the price goes up, you'll have more people mining it. It's better decentralized. When the price goes down, fewer people can make a profit doing that. And so there's, there's potentially fewer miners. But the nice thing about it is like, um, you know, if, if there were ever centralization concerns, people could always vote with their dollars, vote with their, vote with their Satoshis and leave. Like they could have a fork and they could say, we want to institutionalize additional protocols that make it more decentralized. They could go to Ethereum. So they always have choice in this situation. They're not like locked in. And it's always a constantly evolving sea of these different parameters for the Bitcoin protocol. Yeah, that makes sense. I was just curious, like, if there are not enough miners to support the token, the mining, right, it'll become centralized. And then the, like, like we've talked about how decentralization has a premium on it, right? Being more decentralized has a premium. Eventually, it could happen that the price of the token, I mean, I'm talking about like, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. So maybe, maybe like, you know, it's not even, it doesn't even matter because quantum computing will take so many leaps. Like the way we think about cryptography will change. So we'll need a whole new set of systems. So maybe that's a moot point. But I'm just thinking like, you know, if once there are not enough miners, like it'll become centralized. So people will leave and that will cause the, you know, token price to drop. So more people leave and it's like a flywheel, but negative. Yeah, 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 that's entirely possible. I mean, right now there could be folks that are taking a loss uh, on their Bitcoin mining with mm -hmm. the expectation that if, if they get those Bitcoins now at this price, they would take a, a profit in the in the future uh, bull market. So yeah. you're right. It's a constantly, you know, opt-in sy system for the miners as well. Yeah. Interesting. Well, should we right, chat should we... about the banks or maybe go into New York AG with Gemini Genesis? Yeah, let's talk about that, actually. That's breaking news, right? The, 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 when did they, that happened today? Yes, hot off the press. It just came in today. This is exciting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty complicated. So yeah, the, 
I was just reading that the New York state of New York and the SEC had already sued uh, Gemini, which Gemini is an exchange owned by the Winklevi twins, the uh, mm-hmm. former Facebook folks. It's a predominant exchange. Um, Gemini had a product uh, a couple of years ago called Gemini Earn, and you basically put money in it. They take it. They give you a 5% annual uh, rate, and they go and they put that into more risky investments on the back end. They, there was a similarly named company called Genesis. Genesis was um, a sub-company of a company called Digital Currency Group owned by Barry Silbert. Digital Currency Group is one of the largest companies in crypto. They also own Coindesk. Um, and they were in the middle of all the fallout with uh, FTX, uh, Terra Luna, and Three Arrows Capital. So Genesis basically folded. And so the Gemini Earn business went under as well uh, during this process. So the Winklevi has been suing Barry Silbert taking him to court saying, hey, you know, we, you lost all this money with your investments in FTX and the downturn. Hundreds of millions of dollars were taking you to court because you owe us. Now the SEC is suing both of them. Now, as of today, the New York Attorney General also said that they are suing both of them. So it's just, it's a dumpster fire of, lit- wow, so of litigation. Wow, so a bunch of lawsuits on lawsuits. That's it. So How many do they need? So Gemini is suing Genesis for lying to them about doing audits that they never did, which means that Gemini trusted Genesis with their customers' money, which they told the customers they were going to do. Like, did Gemini take money out of customers' accounts like FTX was, or was it more like this Gemini Earn was this program where they're like, you just give your money, we can do whatever with it, and you earn 5% annually. Like, it's, you know, safe. And I assume (laughs) that's what it was. Yeah, it's exactly that. It was even in the Gemini Earn program, which I almost signed up for. I was very close. I signed up for a different program and a different company that also folded, but uh, I narrowly avoided this one. Um, yeah, so this because Gemini had a great reputation. I think they still do as an exchange, but they had this product and they said on the back end, it's going to be managed by Genesis. Genesis at the time had a good reputation. Market was going up. Everybody was making money. What could go wrong? Uh, but apparently there was some devil in the details where the, I think the lawsuit states that Gemini told their customers that there was low risk, allegedly, in this uh, management of funds. And in fact, Genesis, the risk, uh, risk exposure, risk transparency was not well communicated, allegedly. And that's where a lot of this lawsuit wow. is coming from. So it looks like Gemini also dropped the ball because it's uh, in the article it says that Genesis um, uh, told Gemini that uh, it was that it was regularly audited, um, but Genesis alleged to have told Gemini it regularly audited its borrowers, and the firm hadn't done so with three arrows capital in more than two years. So, um, so Gemini took Genesis's word without actually seeing the audits themselves, and Genesis wasn't doing audits on three arrows capital and three arrows capital. And Alameda, and then Genesis was also invested in Alameda Research. They lost money, so Genesis lost money, so Gemini lost money, and so it's like a cascading effect. Wow, that's crazy. Okay, yeah, this is a tough situation. And allegedly, Alameda Research was where a lot of the the money was, but that money from Alameda Research was going directly to FTX to pay back. There, it's just all it's just Bugazi. It's all just this is, so. If Gemini had asked for audits and said we're not going to give you money to Ge- to money to Genesis, um, then this never would have happened to Gemini. If Genesis had audited Three Arrows Capital, then this would never happen to Genesis. So 
it's like everyone just take a step back and maybe freaking audit whoever you're giving money to, you know, and if they're not willing to share audits, that should be a sign of concern <laughs> that maybe you should not be doing business with that group of people. Um, oh, yes. Right. Oh, yeah. It's it, like, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, this is why we can't have nice things in crypto yet, because yeah. nobody wants to ask real questions. Oh, my God. Audit yeah. is not that hard. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. You know, but when everybody's like doubling their money every few months, it's like, it's like, you know, you know, why would you why, don't, you know, like, of course, we're all going to be buying Lambo soon. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, but you're right. <laughs> you're right. I mean, the, the thing I love about this, though, is that this kind of a failure happened and there was no government bailout. There was no protections like they everybody lost. And so the next time there's a bull market and somebody says, hey, let's do a, an earn program. They're going to learn. They're going to say, well, do you have audits? You know, like or maybe the regulators will come in and say, you can't do this unless you have these things in place. Yeah. But eventually there'll be some development of some, some uh, security there. The other thing is that, um, I totally forgot what I was going to say, but I, yeah. So I do agree with the fact that like the next time people are going to be like, do you have audits? But like in general, I think, you know, crypto, Oh, you know what it was? So mm. all of these failures, are all from centralized companies. So like decentralized protocols are not where things failed, right? What failed? Gem someone at Gemini decided that they didn't they were okay with not doing audits on Genesis. Someone at Genesis decided that they were okay not doing audits with Three Arrow Capital. Of course, you know, Three Arrows Capital didn't audit Alameda, right? And 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 they didn't audit others. And so when lending and you're lending money to someone else who's lending money who's lending money to someone else right and you have this like not pyramid scheme but cascading lending program that's happening you know this is all centralized decision makers this is not crypto this is not decentralization this is you could just replace this this exact story with non-crypto assets and it would be the same exact thing this has nothing to do with blockchain this has nothing to do with crypto so true. So true. Had this been decentralized blockchain protocol like Aave or Compound, you could have looked at your balance. You could have said, oh, actually, there's this other company that actually has a lot of leverage and they have no assets behind it. It's highly under collateralized. So it's extremely risky. You could calculate that in real time. You'd have full visibility. Mm -hmm. But the way it was wrapped up between Gemini, Genesis, FTX, blah, 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 blah. Consumers have no visibility. They really don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, in fact, even these companies didn't know. Allegedly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, assuming that Genesis did not give uh audits to Gemini, Gemini wouldn't know and they were just trusting based on some uh you know relationship someone at Genesis had with Gemini. The beatings in crypto will continue until morale improves. That is yeah. that is the I takeaway. Mean, I think the takeaway there are two takeaways here is one if you're running a centralized business, which you need lots of centralized businesses, so not that they're bad, but like, you know, just do audits when it comes to finances, right? Like Circle looks like they're doing audits, right? USDT looks like nothing is audited there. Who do you trust more based on that information? Now, obviously Circle could be lying or could be fake or whatever, but you know, seems unlikely as of right now. Um, and then the second thing is that decentralization, decentralized protocols are resilient and, the, and, and people's greed is what's causing these issues, not technical, technological issues with crypto and blockchain. That's exactly it. We still can't automate out the, uh, the human nature out of the system. <laughs> yeah, greed can't be automated out. <laughs> not fully yet. <laughs> All righty, Sean. Can we wrap it up for the day? 
Yeah, sounds good. Pleasure as always. All see right, you next time. see ya. Bye.